Amen. Well, good morning, family. It's great to be back in Tuscaloosa. And I brought uh, Kelly and the two grandkids back with me so we can share the joy. <laughs> Buckle up your seatbelts. Uh, but uh, it, it was good to be there a week helping her, and uh, she's going to spend a couple weeks here as we try to help her prep for a very important social work clinical license exam. I think I got that right uh, coming up. Yes, give me the thumbs up. She uh, got her master's degree at Alabama in social work, and, uh, and uh, she, she was motivated to go back and get her master's after getting a job at Brewer Porch following her bachelor's degree. She said, I, th I think I need to elevate my, my work area where I can uh, get a job. So, but uh, it's good to have Joshua and Abby uh, back there. They are really something else. Amen. How about that? I'll put it that way. Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Friday was an interesting day for us. Our son turned 40. I needed some muscle relaxer or something. Uh, 40, 40. I'm still having problems with that. Um, but I, I can tell you, from a, a parent's perspective, and parents know what I'm talking about, your, your firstborn just changes your life. Not just your sleep pattern, uh, but your perspective on life changes. I, I remember standing at Alachua General Hospital, which is no more in Gainesville, Florida. Uh, that's the only drawback to Jason is that he was born in Florida Gator country. But we, we took that, we, we brainwashed him to be Alabama. But uh, I, I'll never forget the, uh, the mixed emotions I had there looking at that little boy. It changed my perspective on everything. I mean everything, even my perspective on the cross, because now I knew a father's love. Now I knew what it was to look at this child that was part of me that, that caused all these emotions to erupt, and, and I, knew, I knew about salvation. I knew uh, and appreciated more about salvation because... God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And I, I knew that there was a different depth to that. Are you following me? And no one can really explain that. You just have to experience it. And so Friday was a remembrance for Brenda and I. And those nine months, I see that she left. Those nine months of pregnancy filled with so many challenges. I've never seen someone nauseous every day for nine months until that day. Extremely difficult pregnancy, uh, midway hospitalized, bed rest, us praying that she wouldn't lose the pregnancy, um, and then the miracle of life. Driving back from uh, Tennessee yesterday, coming back, we, we actually connected in Nashville. Uh, Kelly and uh, Abby and Joshua and I went over to welcome our latest addition to our extended family, a great nephew 
Wyatt Conister arrived, and uh, the miracle of life is what I'm going to share about this morning, but holding little Wyatt, is, it was just a, a special moment because the journey for Rachel and Josh were, was so painful because they went through all the fertility and they went to a St. Louis uh, fertility clinic and I'm holding Wyatt as a product of in vitro fertilization. Perfect. It, it, isn't modern medicine something? And knowing how much they invested, we're not, we're not talking about monetary investment, we're talking about the emotional investment. And I'm looking at that, and the sanctity of human life is not just one Sunday, it's every day, isn't it? The, the miracle of life is every day. And the value of personhood. And that's what the, today is really to, to commemorate, not just to say the newborn or the unborn have a value, but every person has value. The value of personhood. When, and I'm going to quote from uh, a read from Genesis chapter 10, and um, just to give you a little bit of background, when God saw all the wickedness in Genesis and decided to reduce mankind to eight people, and I know the movie Noah didn't really capture this, but here, here goes. Eight people, four couples, a man and his wife and their three sons and their respective wives. Eight people survive this deluge that covered society, that, that wiped out the population of the earth. And, and the Lord just started over with eight people. He didn't give Noah like a 3,000-page manual on this is how you're supposed to raise your family, this is how you're supposed to conduct yourselves. And as your family expands and as, a, as I give you this, this charge to repopulate the earth, you'll find this in Genesis 10, verse 4. There's something that jumps out at this to me that relates to today. He says, you must not, of all the things that God could tell Noah about what not to do. He says, you must not eat meat that has its life's blood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. Now, mind you, there was no town council. There was no city limits. There was, there was eight people. Eight people came off that ark, and he's telling the eight people, I'm going to hold you accountable for this, what I'm about to tell you, I will demand an accounting from every animal, from each human being. I will demand an accounting of the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God created mankind. This is the value that God put on life. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on earth, increase upon it, and that's it. Now go and do that. And out of all the prohibitions, he says, life is precious, I will demand an accounting, and, and maybe the, the background to Caleb and uh, Abel, you know, the, the tragedy of the first murder, he's telling this family, respect each other. Hundreds of years later, 
Moses receives the law of God on top of a mountain. And it's one of the oldest codified laws given. And when we say codified laws, we're talking about the 3,000-page manual on if you kidnap, this is what the consequences are. If you take someone, this is, if you steal, if you commit murder, if you do this. And it goes right on down the line. If you commit rape, this is the consequence. So Moses gets this detailed law expressing liabilities. If you've got an ox and, and he's been prone to gore and, and you don't take care of that ox and he kills the neighbor, here's the consequences. It's kind of like the liability laws we have today. Who's responsible? And God gives this detailed, this is how you handle problems to, to Moses. And the centerpiece of that law was ten commandments, the Decalogue. And after the first four had to do with their relationship with God, he talks to them about their relationship with each other. And the first commandment dealing with human relations is this, honor your father and your mother. This is the only commandment with a promise. Honor your father and mother. And the very next one, commandment number six, is this, thou shalt not kill. And the word there is for murder. Now, other abuses... Are, are talked about there about coveting and, and keeping the Sabbath and all that. But he says, life is in the blood and the blood is special. Do not eat or consume blood. Now think about this. This was hundreds of years later after Noah, God is speaking through Moses for the people of Israel. said, this is how you're to conduct yourselves among each other. There was, this was like two million people that he said, this is going to be a new governance here. This is how we're going to govern our society. These are the rules, and he lays out the rules. Years later, when the followers of Jesus Christ are, are building this new church, they're, they're coming together, and there's people who say, we need to take this from the law of Moses, and we need to impose it upon Gentiles. And they had this big debate in the book of Acts. And so they had this conference, and they brought all of their arguments to the leadership of the church, and this is, this is what the church decided. It says, as far as the law of Moses, here's two things we're going to keep. Sexual purity and do not consume blood. Of all the things that they could pull from, it says dietary, you know, there's no mention of pork there, is there? All you pork chop people. You know, and there's people who says we need to have the, you know, all you bacon-loving people. Ah, come on, you're in freedom. Says we're under grace, we're not under law. Bring on the bacon. Everything tastes, ba tastes better with bacon, doesn't it? <laughs> See, you're getting excited. Look what, look what gets us excited. But out of all the things from back there that James and the leaders of the church should say to the Gentiles, says, we're not going to put anything on you that we're used to other than this. Do not commit fornication. Keep sexual purity in your life and respect blood. Do not... Out of all these things from Noah to Moses, now to the early church, it says you ought to have a respect for blood because if you respect blood, you respect life. How has our culture gotten so far away from respecting blood? The games now that people can play on their computers have gory 
gory details of blood splattering and it's and the movie industry and everything has kind of pulled back the restraints and now you can just about see any kind of gore that you want to see. And what has happened is tore down the value of life, the value of a person. I want to take you to Jeremiah chapter 1 because every life matters. Every life matters. Every person matters. Jeremiah, and, I, and, and this was the word of the Lord to this prophet who first of all had an inferiority complex who didn't think he had the speaking skills to be a prophet and was, was ready to give all of these excuses as to why he would not be a good choice to be a prophet. And on the front end of that, he says the word of the Lord came to him not trying to encourage him and build him up that he could do it, but it goes back to when he was in his mother's womb. I mean, this is right at the front end of Jeremiah's prophecy. And in verse 5, it says, the word of the Lord came to, came to him saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, I knew you with your, your speech impediment. I knew how you was going to be. Before you were born, I set you apart. He said, I ordained your life. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. In other words, his purpose was foreordained by the Lord. If you go to Psalms 139 and verse 13, here's the psalmist, David, kind of talking about the same thing, but we'll get to something a little bit afterwards. But in verse 13, he says this to the Lord in the, in the song. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. Before I was formed, you saw me. All the days ordained for me were written in your book. Before one of them came to be, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Now here's the truth. Here's the truth. When you look at Jeremiah 1.4 and you look at Psalm 139, here's the truth. That this was not just for them. This was not just a word for Jeremiah. This was not just David saying, I'm special and the rest of you people aren't. God ordained me to be the, the real king of Israel and left the rest of you out. Or Jeremiah saying, man, I'm the prophet of God and God ordained me, but you know what? I don't think he has many plans for anybody else. This is a truth for every conception. Every con Psalm 139 applies to every conception which makes life a miracle. I told you about nine months of, we got pretty good, Brenda and I got pretty good at pulling off the road and her opening the door before the door could, before the car could stop. Because I'm telling you, three to four times a day, every day, throughout her nine months of pregnancy, 
she threw up. And when she got through, she said, this is it. No more after this. It took me almost five years to convince her that just because one pregnancy was like that didn't mean the next one was going to be like that. So Kelly was conceived, and for nine months, she made her mother as sick as her brother did. was hospitalized in the middle of that pregnancy with dehydration, weighed less at six months pregnant than she did when she got pregnant. How we know these babies grew, we have no idea. The Lord knitting together on bare minimum nourishment, I guess. And Kelly, just to show her brother that she could outdo him, she stretched her duration past her due date just to show what my brother can do, I can do better. But then after that, it was like, this is it. I hope you are satisfied with too. I'm not going through this again. And so the, the miracle of life, the miracle of going through those things and the remembrance of that makes life special. I bring a message to you today because I'm saddened over the devaluing of life, over people not having value. Not long ago, there was our nation erupted with, you know, rioting and also just protests. And one of the things that was cared about is that black, li black lives matter. And when I saw that, I says, yes, because all lives matter. Everybody matters. It should trouble us. It should trouble us when we see that Boko Haram is killing thousands of people in Nigeria because they're Christian. And this Muslim, radical, genocidal man that heads up Boko Haram is going through villages in northern Nigeria just wiping out people. And I want to yell, do they matter? Do they matter? And I want to say, where is our government there? Some of you know I like to write letters to the editor. And when the Rwanda genocide was going on, I wrote a letter during that time that we can step into Serbia and prevent genocide in Europe, but we can't step into Africa and prevent genocide. We make a statement when a life in the dark continent doesn't have the same value as it does in the white continent. We make statements as to the value of people, how we respond to news. I remember getting the news of Philip Lutzenkirk. And how tragic a loss of a young man's life. An Auburn football player can be gunned down outside his apartment. And it makes the news. And it should make the news. But there's a lot of other people gunned down outside their apartments. Their lives that, that are just as valuable as the ones who make the news. And seeing Lutz and Kirkin's parents in tears 
talk about how painful it is for them not just to lose a son, but to never see him build a family and give them grandchildren. Heartbreaking. Does that life value? Next month is Black History Month. Can I just give a challenge to some high school students to go to your history teacher and say, I want to do a report on Dred Scott and his wife Harriet. I want to do a report that we still, there's two great stains in our nation's history, slavery and abortion. I want you to see the similarities here. Both of these were ruled by the Supreme Court. Both of them by the same margin of the Supreme Court, seven to two. Slavery was in place in this country at the founding of it because it was brought from England. And our Constitution was written so that people could have equal justice. And in the 1850s, there's this man, Dred Scott, who's a slave, and he's bought by a U.S. Army surgeon, Dr. Emerson. And he ends up getting married, and his wife retains custody of this couple that's slaves. And they go, and they go into a free state like Missouri, and they sue for their freedom. In 1857... The Dred Scott decision was handed down 7 to 2, and this is the essence of it. Africans present in the United States of America, whether enslaved or free, are not given citizenship or justice under our laws. Did you know that? Did you know that was, and not only did they determined that they struck down the Missouri Compromise. Four years later, our nation erupted into an eternal war, a civil war, where we killed each other. Listen, can I just tell you, I was born in the South. The Civil War was not about states' rights. It was about slavery, okay? Don't re rewrite history. But did you realize that when the, the war ended and, and Robert E. Lee surrendered, slavery didn't end in this country? It ended in the South where the Emancipation Proclamation covered the slaves. But there were slaves in Delaware. There were slaves in northern states. And it took the 13th Amendment to abolish slavery in our Constitution, the 14th Amendment to grant people of color citizenship and we wonder why we still have the residue of that when personhood personhood when the court looked at a man and woman and says you're not a person you're not people you don't have protection in the law and a little over 116 years later another case makes its way to the Supreme Court and it's decided on January the 22nd, 1973. It's one of the reasons why Reagan, 10 years after the Roe v. Wade decision was handed down, 
May January the 22nd, Sanctity of Human Life. By a 7 to 2 vote, the Supreme Court ruled that any baby within the womb of a woman is not a person. Tissue. Just fetal tissue. No value to that infant. No value to the unborn until they get to viability. But then it's like, well, the mother's health. And so the last trimester that should be prohibited from abortion because there's a developed baby there, they can still do legal abortions. And the most grotesque is partial birth abortion. We still fight that struggle. And for those who think that we will undo Roe v. Wade, and by the way, the woman who was Jane Roe in that decision, Norman McCorvey, later came to the Lord and gave the background to her case. And there was just, she was not pregnant by rape. She made it up because two women attorneys wanted to go after Texas abortion law. So when is a person a person? If you look at Psalm 139, woven together by God, this is, now I may strain a few people here this morning. That's good for you. It really is good for you. Because we need the truth. There's people who may not want to know the truth or discuss the truth, but we need the truth. We need to look at our country without tinted lens and say, these are the issues we have. And you tell our culture that a, that a woman pregnant with a baby, that that baby has no value and no protection, we suffer the consequence. Nayral, who was form, formed by Dr. Bernard Nathanson to lobby for Roe v. Wade, and the different abortion lobbies that was working over the, the media that this is a reproductive rights issue, this is, this is a woman's rights issue, not, it's not a social issue, when it is a social issue. And one of the claims they made before 1973 is that the reason we have so much child abuse is we have so many unwanted pregnancies, and therefore these babies born that are not wanted suffer child abuse, and if we have abortion, we will lessen child abuse. Now tell me how that's went. This is looking at our country with untended lens. Say, this is where save a life. This is where ministries, crisis pregnancy centers, they're, they're at the front end of the battle where they're battling an ideology and a, and a misconceptions and lies on what's going on in a woman's womb. And now you have 4D scans of a baby where you can like, it's putting a camera inside and taking a picture. His nose, look at his ears. It's, now we're kind of like shifting away to say there's something special about life. I'll close with this. It all goes back to John 3.16. It really does. For God so loved the world, and I've said this before, I've even asked you, give me another word for love there. Remember me asking you that? 
Give me another word for love. For God so loved the world. It's hard to come up with another word for love there, isn't it? You almost have to create multiple words. For God so wanted the best interest of our world. Our broken world, our hurting world, and how we are in a broken world. God so loved our lives, us, that he gave his only begotten son. The value of the person sitting next to you, the value of people in your neighborhood, the value of your co-workers, that all changes in John 3.16. That God so loved, they could be the worst pain in your life. They could, where did, where did the last nerve thing come from? I remember the first time I heard it, I was in Jackson, Alabama. So maybe it was coined there. Maybe it was founded there. They get on my last nerve. Maybe it's someone who gets on your last nerve. But God put value on them because whatever brokenness they're going through, he so loved them that he gave his perfect son to die for them to have a transformational experience with him. My mom would always say it's so simple when she saw somebody so out of sorts and so broken and so rebellious, she just said, oh, they just need Jesus. And so, well, Pastor, that's simplistic. Oh, it's more than simplistic. It's the truth. Jesus changes everything. He transforms people's lives from the worst to the worst. You know, like my brother. I didn't even believe my brother when he called me up and told me he'd gotten saved. I said, you shouldn't joke about that. He said, no, really. I said, no, Johnny, that's not funny. And he says, no, I really did. I said, you better not be joking with me. And here was one of the meanest people I'd ever met turned into this. I ran from the police three times, totaled two cars, hit police officers. He was put in jail. I, I saw him one time when he was in jail. He was just mean. And through falling on his knees in his kitchen, a miserable human being saying, God, if you're real, help me. I'm destroying everybody around me, my wife, my kids. I'm, I'm useless. I'm leaving if you can't change me. And he got up from there, and I tell you, it was metamorphosis. It was, who are you? And what would you do with my brother? Jesus makes a difference. He makes the difference in life. Lord, I pray this morning that whatever, whatever anyone in this room has as to wait and try to fix things and try to get them where they want to be, and they're trying all of that really without your help. Help them to see, Lord, that you're the difference maker. You're the one who steps into our emptiness and our inadequacy and our lack of consistency. And we just don't have the energy to keep going and keep pressing and keep trying to get through trials 
when we don't have you. That you are the difference maker. That each of us in the conceived secret place of our mother's womb, you knitted us together and you have as much a divine ordained purpose for us as you did for Jeremiah, as you did for David, as you did for the nameless people who are in graves marked with John Doe or Jane Roe. You care as much for them. You care as much for those who never are on the news about their tragedies. You care for them. And Lord, today you care for all of us in this room. I pray this morning that whatever is holding people back from saying, Lord, I want to give you my whole life. I want to surrender everything I am and everything that I see that I can't be. I want to surrender that to you. Take over my life. Shake the ground, Lord, as we sung earlier. Shake the ground so that everything that can be shaken will be shaken so that you will remain as our rock and you will remain as our portion and you will remain as our shelter. Would you stand with me this morning?